Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. Thank you for getting out here on this day. I know there's a, a few holes in the congregation this morning as Ian was mentioning earlier but uh, you know you guys made it and Christ is here and like Ian said we're not here for any other reason you know one of the problems in my life is that if I'm not careful I try to get my identity off of a full crowd or a, a big church or or a good sermon that I preached and everybody liked and you know those are all wrong things we'll talk about that in just a few minutes you know some of you maybe you're getting your identity from other things and uh, anything we get, anytime we get anything, our identity from anything other than Jesus Christ, we've got the wrong thing. You know, we're in the wrong place. And I just want to mention that to you today. We're going to talk about that here in, in, uh, in the sermon. Father, right now, I just want to thank you for being here. And I thank you, Lord, for your presence, Lord. And we do want to, we do want to have an encounter with you today. I just have felt a call to my heart to, to get close to you today. I feel the struggle, Lord, of Satan trying to get my mind off of the things of, of you and get them onto other things. I have a feeling that I'm not the only one here that's struggling today. Uh, part of it's that probably we're all a little sleep deprived and, and uh, some of those things. But Lord, I, I know right now that Satan does not want me to preach the message. He doesn't want us to hear it. He wants us to ignore. He wants us to go, uh, this is just going to go away. But Lord, right now, I believe that you have us at a crossroads, at a place, Lord, where you are calling us to come into relationship with you and into an encounter with you that is, that is big, that goes beyond just going to church once in a while or, or even being moral people. You're calling us into a relationship with you. God, we just want that so bad. We want to experience that. We want to, we want to know you to the very depths of our soul, Lord. We want nothing to get between us and you. Lord, we have to confess this week. There were times when, when we uh, tried to do things on our own strength and in our own, under our own power. God, forgive us for that. Help us right now, Lord, to, to realize that uh, nothing, 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 Lord, will work on our own power, that we have nothing without you. Lord, I love you and I praise you. Lord, I right now want to ask that you would be with those who are hurting. I know there are people here today that are struggling with life and and they've had some tough things happen this week. And Lord, I pray right now for them. I pray for those who have lost loved ones this week, Lord, that right now you would touch them and that you would be very close to them. And I pray right now, Lord, for those who, who are uh, just uh, struggling with life in general. Lord, I just sense that probably there's some here today that are just saying, I don't know, it just seems so hard and I just can't seem to break through. Lord, may there be breakthrough in our lives today. Lord, knock down walls, break, break, down, break down barriers right now, Lord. Open up our hearts to what you have for us. We love you, Lord. We're just praising you for what you're going to do. Uh, Lord, I pray right now for Madison as she uh, struggles against Satan in the room with the children, Lord, as she teaches them Jesus and teaches them that relationship. I pray that you'll bless her and those who are there. We love you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There are two stories in Luke I want you to hear this morning, and the first one's found in Luke chapter 21, 
And uh, the other one is actually back before that in Luke 18. And if you want to take your Bibles and turn to Luke, you can. It's one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's the third one. It's uh, one of the synoptic Gospels or one of those that are similar to the other uh, two. The other th- there's three of them that are very much alike. So Luke chapter 21 is the first one. Jesus is at the temple that day and he is sitting there. And I've never been there, but he was sitting there and there was a place in the temple where they take up or they receive the offering. And he's there in the temple area where they take up the offering and sitting and he's watching. He's an observer. Jesus, I think, was an observer of people. He understood what was going on. He understood people's hearts. He understood people's minds. And he was observing that day. And he was sitting there in the temple watching what was going on. And this lady comes up. Now, she's an older lady. She's a widow lady. And uh, she's very poor. And she walks up. And Jesus watches as she walks up. And she takes the last two coins that she has, the only two coins she has, all that she has, and she carefully puts them in the offering. And Jesus is amazed at that. And he's blessed by that. And the Bible says that uh, Jesus said something to his disciples. He said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave out of their gifts, out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. I love that story. And, you know, it has so much meaning. And I'm going to go on and talk about it in just a minute. The second story is also found in Luke, Luke chapter 18. And it's the story of a rich man. It's the story of a rich man, a ruler, probably a Pharisee. When they talk about rich and rulers, you're usually looking at Pharisees. Spiritually, they led the nation, and so it's probably a Pharisee. And this Pharisee also came to talk to Jesus. And this young man comes up to him, and he asks Jesus this question. And it's a very good question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to go to heaven, basically? is what he's asking. And Jesus answers the question for him. He says, okay, you know the commandments. And the young man goes, yes, I I do know them. And he said, and I've kept them since I was a boy. And he's pretty pleased with himself because he's looking at it and going, you know, I was pretty sure that's what it was. And I've done that. So I'm in pretty good shape. And he's feeling pretty good about himself until Jesus says, well, that's good. But there's more to it than that. Let me explain. And Jesus said, what I need you to do, if you want to go to heaven, you need to sell off everything that you own. You need to go sell it all off, get rid of it, liquidate it, and give away all the assets to the poor. And then I want you to do something. When you get done with that, then I want you to come and I want you to follow me. And that's his answer for that. And that kind of blows my mind. I don't know about you, but that blows me away. Because it sounds like what he's saying here is that You have to get rid of everything if you want to go to heaven. And this seems ridiculous. He's he's taken back by this because his money is who he is. I mean, he's identified to the world as the rich young man. Even in the scripture, we identify him by his wealth. The rich young man. His whole identity is wrapped up in his wealth. It's the tale of two opposite situations. This poor, powerless widow lady and this rich powerful man there couldn't be more opposite stories being told in such a short distance it would be easy to draw the conclusion here that these from these stories that jesus is telling us that to go to heaven you have to be poor and powerless you have to give up everything you have to sell off everything but i don't think that's really what this is all about jesus when he notices the poor widow is aware of how difficult it has been for her to give up her offering 
You know, sometimes we think when we read that story, well, she didn't have much, so it was easy for her to just go put her two coins in. I mean, after all, what's the big deal? It's not that large amount. But understand something here. This is all this lady has. She has nothing else. There's no reserve. She doesn't get to go home and go, oh, I found some more. She has nothing left. She doesn't know where her next meal is going to come from. She doesn't know if she's even going to have a house to live in. She gives up everything. She hands it over. And Jesus understands that. And he recognizes this is much more than a couple of coins. And in reality, that this poor widow lady is making a big life decision. She's making a choice here. And her big life decision, her choice is this. By giving up the two coins, she's really choosing to rely fully on God. Completely, totally, she's going to go, okay, I'm giving it to the treasury. I'm doing what God wants me to do. He's either going to help me and bless me, or I'm going to die. And that's what she did. She declared her total reliance upon God. She gave it all to God. She chose to live dependent totally upon Him, no matter what came. Now, the rich young Pharisee is in the other boat. He's rich. He has everything anyone could need. He's moral. He's good. He doesn't need anything, and he doesn't need anybody. He is a completely, uh, he's completely independent, completely on his own. So when Jesus asks him to sell everything and to give it all away and come and rely upon him, he goes away, the Bible said, very sad. There's no doubt about it. He wants eternal life. He, he desires what God has to give. He wants what only God can provide, but he wants to do it on his own terms. He wants to get to heaven by using the world's strategy. He wants earth and heaven too. He wants to stay on earth and enjoy the pleasures of earth, but he wants to get to heaven. He's struggling here. He's self-reliant. He's self-sufficient. And what we learn about this young man, man is, is that he is not really in control of his money as it looks like he is. He doesn't own his money. He doesn't really own his things. His money and his things are controlling him. They have a firm grip on him. And Luke goes on to tell us what the problem was. The problem is this young man, as I said earlier, has lots of money. And because he has a lot of money, he's allowed his money to buy and acquire him position. He is now in a place he is because he has money. He wouldn't have been where he's at. He wouldn't be a Pharisee. He wouldn't be a rich young, a rich, or he wouldn't be a ruler if he didn't have money. Those things have allowed him to acquire position. His money has bought him a feeling of importance. I, I know that feeling. When you're going well and everything's working in your life, you walk around and you go, I got everything under control. Look at me. I'll show you how to do it. Anybody here ever felt that way before? Or, or I've got plenty of money. I don't need any more. I'm, I'm good to go. I, you know, people, I can do this myself. I don't need anyone else. I'm independent. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to tell everybody else how to do it because I've got the money. I've heard that one before. His money buys him a feeling of security. It's telling him if something happens, I can take care of it. You don't need to worry. It's told him you're good on your own. You don't need anyone. You can count on me. And you can tell Jesus, no, you already have all you need. And you'll be fine because you're a moral person. You're a good person. And see what's going on here in my heart as I look at this. And what I feel like God is teaching me here is this. That the rich young Pharisee's identity is tied up with his money, his power, and his self-reliance. That's who he is. He's not just a, a man. He is a rich man. He is identified as rich. 
If he were to lose his money, who would he be? He would lose his position, he'd lose his influence, he'd lose his identity. His moral goodness and his money were telling him that he is blessed, that he can get to heaven on his own merit. He is identified as this person. He's given his heart to his money. See, many people think they have it all figured out. People are trying to rely on themselves or on something. You know, we're sitting here today going, well, I'm in church. No, I'm not like that. But the reality is, is right here sitting in church, all those who are here, all of you, the crowd that's here today, we all are relying on something. And most of the times, it's something other than God in our lives. Many of us have concluded, I am who I am because of my, and you can fill in the blank, in this case, it was my money. Without it, I have nothing. I was thinking about that this week, and I was listening to the news, and they were talking about uh, Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg and all this stuff. You know, he's worth billions of dollars. You take away Facebook and you take away his billions of dollars, he's nobody. That is his identity for most people. Now, he hopefully has some other identity. Hopefully, he's somebody's son and they care about him. And if he got broke, they, you know, if he was absolutely broke, they'd still love him. But, but we don't know that. Right now, right now, if he walked in here, we'd all go, oh, there's Mark Zuckerberg. He's the guy that made Facebook. I hope he leaves some money as you know, gives us some, some money, you know, while he's here. He's got billions. He could do that. Helps out a little bit. Pay off the debt, you know, be nice. But the reality is, is that that's not who he is. He's a person. He's a human being. He's a man. There's all kinds of things that he is. But money isn't one of them. But he lives as though it's his identity. Most people spend their whole lives fake, uh, focusing on and sustaining and protecting their assets and their identity. Many rich people work for their money. They think that their money's working for them, but the reality is, is if you start listening to them and talking to them, you realize that they do not own their money. Their money owns them. It consumes them. It possesses them. Many rich people put their money before others because it's their identity. It's their boss. This poor widow lady gave away everything, including herself. She tied her identity up in something other than things. She was not identified by what she had. She became identified by who she was, a child of God. She gave herself to God. She presented herself to him and trusted that he would provide. I believe this, and, and you can, I, I think you can write this down. The way a person sees money, stuff, or position is a condition of their heart. It's got to do with what's going on inside of our hearts that matters. Jesus knew the condition of this man's heart, and he was exposing him. He was exposing him. He was telling him about it. He was trying to open his heart up. It wasn't that Jesus wanted him to get rid of all of his money. It wasn't that he wanted him to be broke. It wasn't he was saying, hey, look, being poor is fun. He was telling him something about what was going on inside of his heart. And Jesus was telling him, if you're serious about going to heaven, and he was playing with him a little bit, and he was asking him, are you really serious about this? Because if you're serious about this, there's only one way, and you've got to trust me for that. And guys, that hasn't changed, by the way. There's only one way to get to heaven, through Jesus Christ. That doesn't change. That hasn't changed. I don't care what goes on around us. I don't care what the world says. I don't care how different it gets than what it was when you were a teenager or a kid or, or whatever. It's the same. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. You have to trust Him. And that means you have to do something. You have to sell off everything else you have and are trusting in. And I'm not talking about just money, and I'm not talking about the rich man in the Bible. I'm talking about you sitting here today. I'm talking about me 
if we want to get to heaven, if we really want to get to heaven, we have to get rid of everything. We have to sell off everything. Completely. Sell off everything. You have to quit identifying yourself as a man who has everything or as a woman who has everything, and you have to become a man, a woman who is all about Jesus. You've got to put your trust. You've got to put your faith. You've got to put your hope. You've got to put your future in Jesus. Not in everything working out okay. How many of you think everything's going to work out okay in your life sometime? Because if you do, I'm going to talk to you because I'm going to help you out with that. Because it's not. Don't put your faith in the fact that one of these days I'm going to, get a, I'm going to, have, I'm going to be comfortable. You may, but you may not. One of these days, the kids are going to do what I ask them to do. No, they're not. They're never going to do what you want them to do. It just doesn't work like that. It's like herding cats. You have to sell off everything. I, I liken it to a tyrant. You know, a tyrant is that that controls us and, and forces its way on us. And, and you have to sell off that which is the tyrant that's holding you captive. A tyrant is something that owns you. Money is one tyrant. There are plenty of others. But Jesus is saying, sell off the tyrant. Give it away. Get rid of it. Then come follow me. Let me become your security. How many of you have let Jesus truly become your security? See, I'm struggling with that. I'm going to be real honest with you. I struggle with that sometimes. Sometimes when things are tough and the bills are due and I'm struggling to get everything together or we're looking at something and going, man, I don't know. There's a part of me that wants to go, but I wish I had a bigger pile of money so that I wouldn't have to worry about this. But Jesus is enough, right? It's a struggle. Sometimes when things aren't working out and I'm dealing with my family and, and things aren't going well and, and I'm struggling with that and I want to force them to do what I want them to do, sometimes that tyrant of control, I have to get rid of that. I don't know about the rest of you, but I got some of these things going on. And Jesus is saying, sell it. Told me to sell it. He said, get it away. Follow me. Come, let me be your security. Let me be your future. Put your faith in me. Follow me. Now, I want you to hear me on this. Because a lot of you are sitting there right now, and you're going to go home, and you're going to say, Pastor Mark said we have to sell everything. And I just don't think I can sell everything. I mean, because we've got to have food, right? And so I want you to hear me on this, okay? Because I get misunderstood pretty easily. I figured that out. I, I say way too many words. I talk too much. And I'm up front way too long now. And you probably wish somebody else was up here most of the time. And you misunderstand. I am not telling you to go off and sell everything you own and liquidate your 401k or anything like that unless you want to give it to me. No, I'm, that, that's not what it is. No. This particular story is not to be used to tell all of us we have to be broke to get to heaven. Okay? That is not the point of what Jesus is doing here. He is not saying you got to get rid of everything and be broke to get to heaven. The story is not to be used to say it's wrong to have stuff or to have money. You do not necessarily have to literally sell everything and be poor to get into heaven. And here's another truth. I want you to hear me. Being poor doesn't mean you're holy. Amen? Being poor doesn't mean you're holy. It doesn't mean you're going to heaven. It could just mean you're poor. 
I also believe this. I believe there will be lots of people who are really wealthy on earth who are going to be in heaven. Amen. I do believe that. I believe that wealthy people can go to heaven. And I think there are going to be many people who were very poor on earth who are going to make it to hell. I really do. The fact is, is that everyone in heaven will eventually be very wealthy because they're going to be in heaven. <laughs> and God is going to give them the riches of heaven. But I can promise you this, there will be no people who are identified by or possessed by money or possessed by anything else other than Jesus who will be in heaven. I'll promise you that right now. There won't be one person in heaven, won't be one person in heaven who made something else their idol, their identity, their purpose. Oh yeah, and I just slipped in the back door of heaven. Either Jesus is our Lord and our Savior and our forgiver and our sustainer and we've sold everything and he's it or we aren't going to go. There's not a back door to heaven. You're going in through the door, which is Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. This particular story has to do with this one guy. It has not to do with everyone else. It's one guy, but there's truth in it. And this story has to do with an attitude, a mindset, a way of life almost all of us struggle with in some form or another. We have that tyrant that wants to own us. That tyrant can be many things. Did you know that self can be a tyrant? It can possess you. Just looking at yourself and being all about yourself and so self-aware that you can't even see anyone else and you've made life all about you and it becomes a tyrant. Money, wealth, we've already talked about that. How about your feelings? See, I think right now we're living in a time where people are making their feelings that's their tyrant. It's become a, an obsession. Our feelings have become an obsession. And every time somebody does something and it hurts my feelings, oh man, I lose my mind. You know, I, I remember a day in a time when you could say something to people and they just went, okay, whatever. Not anymore, man. You know, mess up one time. Just say something wrong. I mean, I've been criticized many times for saying one thing wrong. I mean, people just don't get that anymore, you know? Our feelings, we're, we're a tyrant. They're tyrants. They, we're, we're, we're subject to our feelings. Our ego, man, the ego is such a tyrant. It controls us and owns us and demands its way all the time. Anybody ever had any problem with their ego before? Besides me? I got them all. You know, I'm a multifaceted person. I've got all kinds of issues, and I stand up here and reveal them, and you guys sit there and look like you got your act together, and it's really scary when you're sitting there doing that. So, um, Our performance and acceptance by others. Man, I want everybody to approve of me. Anybody here ever struggle with approval? Wanting everybody to approve of how you do, and you're running around? I mean, if I'm not careful, I'm going around going, hey, what'd you think? Was it good? Was it good? Did I do all right? You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a tyrant. The tyrant is anything we've allowed to own and rule over our lives as what is most important. And if we're not careful, it can be just about any number of things. And in reality, I think this story has little to do with money and it has everything to do with choosing who you belong to and choosing that you will belong to Jesus. 
It has everything to do with what we give value to. It has everything to do with who we submit or give our life to and follow or who or what controls our life. It's a story about every one of us. We are the rich man in this story. Every one of us can put ourselves there. You may be absolutely flat broke, no money, but you can put yourself in this story because this is what Jesus is talking about. You still have stuff in your life. You have your ego, you have your will, you have your ways and all that stuff. You are the rich man in this story and we have or we are asking the question, Jesus, what do I have to do to get to heaven? And if you're not asking that question, then I feel sorry for you because you're living for the wrong things. Every one of us is asking that question, what do I have to do to get to heaven? For years we've been making, making going to heaven about performance, and it's certainly not that as I loved what Ian said that he had read earlier and what he said today. That, that was just Pastor Ian. That was just right on. You know, that whole idea that we don't come to church to get our ticket punched. We don't come to church just to get better and to become more moral. We've done that for way too long. You know what? We, we created a bunch of good people who were worthlessly sitting around doing nothing for the most part. We're, we need to come to church to have an encounter with Jesus. That's our whole reason. Uh, you know, I love that. So, you know, for years we've made it about performance, living a moral life, giving my tithe, teaching my Sunday school class, and all those kind of things. The truth is, is those things will not get you to heaven. There are going to be people who are going to miss heaven who never watched an R-rated movie in their life. They missed both ends. They didn't even see the movie and they didn't go to heaven. Nobody's getting my jokes today. I, mean, I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> There's going to be people who, maybe I'll do it this way. There's going to be people who never got drunk once and they're not going to go to heaven. You know, they missed it on both ends. I, I mean, the reality is, is that we've, we've made it all about all these things and, and that's just not what it was or is about. They're not going to get you to heaven. You know, the reality is, is anyone can do all those moral things on their own if they want to. They can just strive and do it. But Jesus is saying to us when we ask this question, it's simply this. Just go get rid of everything. Sell everything. Give it to the poor. Follow me. Those are his words. Let me see if I can make this really clear. Jesus is saying to you and me, take your sign down off of your life that says, I'm self-sufficient. I'm secure in who I am. I trust in money. I trust in myself. It's about me. And my favorite one, I'm an American. I know, go and mess up, stepping on toes here, but it's true. Quit making these things who you are, your true identity. That's not who you are. Your true identity is not American or Republican or Democrat or middle class or educated or pastor or banker or retired person. You have to choose to be solely identified as child of God. Oh, yeah, that's it. And oh, by the way, it's okay. I'm a child of God who happens to be an American. That's all right. I'm thankful for that. You know, if you got to be on this world, this is a good place to be. Maybe I would have liked it if he'd borne me a little more south. Not in Indiana so much right about now, but, you know, it's, it's good. I'm okay with it. I love the song we sing. It's a song that says, I am who you say I am. I'm a child of God. 
I am who you say I am, God. It's not who I say I am, it's who he says I am. So being rich has nothing to do with how much you have. We're talking about how to be rich. I love my, I love that guy, by the way. You did a great job, Nathan. That, that's Nathan's deal, putting that rich guy up there like that. I, I should find myself an outfit and dress like that one Sunday. But <laughs> being rich has nothing to do with how much you have. Being rich has to do with who you are. You know, get this. Bill Gates, one of the richest men on earth. I don't know if he's the richest right now or not. It fluctuates from time to time. He's, you know, one day he's got an extra billion, the next day he doesn't, you know, so it's up and down. You know how it is when you have billions. But anyway, Bill Gates, he's dirt poor unless he can put it down. Unless he can get rid of it and say, I'm not Bill Gates, the billionaire who invented Microsoft. I'm just the child of God. He's dirt poor. See, because Bill Gates' billions and billions and billions they're just not enough to buy him security in eternity. Because they pave streets of heaven with money, gold. So his billions won't mean anything to God. God goes, whatever, I don't need it. And that's what Jesus knew and understood about the rich Pharisee. He couldn't be rich enough. He couldn't be good enough. He needed more. He needed what Jesus was getting ready to do for him on the cross. We're in that Lent season where we begin moving to the cross. He needed what Jesus was getting ready to do. He needed the blood of Jesus Christ to wash him clean. That's what I need. He needed the blood of Jesus Christ to make me, to make him, to identify him and me as child of God. And when I, it says how to be rich, become a child of God, is the answer to that. So Jesus was simply saying to him, get rid of anything that's in the way of letting me have all of you. I've come to understand something, and it's really something that was taught to me by my wife, Darcy, but she says lives are, our life is like a sponge. I've used a little bit of this before. You maybe have heard her talk about it, but our life is like a sponge, and you've, you've used a sponge. You know, you take a sponge, and you dip it in a bucket of water, and it's instantly full of water. And if a sponge is full of water and you dip it in, say, oil... It won't absorb the oil because it's full of water, and oil and water don't mix, and it would repel the oil away. And if our life is like a sponge, and it's full of the stuff the world values, if, if our lives are full of all the things, if we're so filled up with all the entertainment, and we're so filled up with all the pleasures, and we're so filled up with money, and ourself, and our ego, and having our own way, if we're all filled up with that when we try to dip our life into Jesus, it won't fill up because it's already full. Our lives are already full. It needs to be wrung out. You take a sponge and you wring it out and you wring it out and you wring it out and it's almost instantly dry. And then you dip it into Jesus and you're full of Him. And if you're trying to have Jesus in America as your salvation, if you're trying to have Jesus and yourself Jesus and your money, Jesus and anything else, it's not enough. It won't work. It's only by the blood of Jesus that we're saved. So for you and me, this verse is probably not telling us to sell our house or a car. I don't have a problem with you having a nice house and a nice car. You know, I, I, I like nice things. I don't think you should go liquidate your 401k. 
but it really has everything to do with looking at yourself and asking some questions. And that's what he's really trying to get this young man to do, and that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to examine our life, and I want to do that with you right now. I want you to, just right now, whatever is going on in your mind, stop for a moment and do this with me. And just, just think. You don't have to say it out loud, but I want you to think with me. Take a long look at your pride and your ego and answer the question of who or what do you really belong to? Whose are you? Do you belong to him or do you belong to you? Are you in control or is Jesus really, really in control? What's your sponge full of? For instance, is it full of self and making sure you get what you want? Or maybe it's getting all the things and the comforts of life? Or maybe it's all your family, your children and your kids and, and all that and you just don't have time you know, to really be there for Jesus. I mean, let me ask you a question. What would you do? And I haven't heard anybody ask this question in a very long time. These two when I was younger, but let me ask you this question. Would you, what would you do if God laid on your heart to literally sell everything you have and to follow Jesus? If he said to you, I want you to lay it down. I want you to put away your life right now the way it is. I, and, and you knew this beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was talking to you. I want you to set aside everything right now and I want you to move and go somewhere else and care for the people that I have planned for you. What would you do? See, because one of the things I'm noticing even amongst our young people that are coming into ministry is that I want to do ministry, but I want to do it in my home. But what if Jesus said, don't, move, go? Maybe your sponge is full of you and your life about getting your own way, or maybe it's Jesus and money and position, or maybe it's just being the coolest and never letting your guard down. You know, I'm so tired of people who won't let their guard down, who will never be real, who will never let you see who they really are. The poor widow lady had to make a tough decision, and don't think for a minute putting your last two coins in the collection of the temple was any easier than you deciding to set aside what you take as valuable and laying it down and following Jesus. I'm guessing it was a battle for her. I'm guessing she struggled as she was putting those coins in there. There was part of her that was squeezing those so tight that they were screaming. She was hanging on to them and going, man, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Satan was telling her she was a fool. I'll promise you that because Satan always tells us we're a fool when we start to come to this place in our life. He's telling her, lady, you're going to starve to death. If you get rid of those coins... It's over. You're going to starve to death. He's telling her that God would never tell you to put them in there. That's what he said to Adam and Eve too. Surely God didn't tell you you couldn't eat. Surely God didn't tell you you need that money. Surely not. He told her that God would fail her. But then she took the two coins and she trusted and she let go. And they went into the, to the offering. You know, God is talking to a lot of folks here right now. I believe that right now. I do. I believe he's talking to you about some of these very things that I'm talking about. And, and you're hearing the voice of Satan also, and he's saying to you, don't listen to that. Don't listen to that. You, you, you do enough. Don't give any extra. Don't get more involved. That pastor, you know, he just wants the church, you know, he wants his own way. It's, it's about him. Satan will lie to us. But you have to ask this, where's your identity coming from? What defines you as a person? Who are you? Because we're talking about so much more than just money or things. You know, 
there are people who get their identity, identity from getting their own way, and they'll do whatever's necessary to make sure that they get their way. Uh, there's people that get their identity from being right, and they don't care who it hurts. They're going to be right, and they're going to put their foot down, and they're going to be right. There's others who uh, get it from making sure everything stays like they want it. And if you change anything, I'm just going to throw a fit. This is my church, and you're not going to do that. And if your values comes from getting your own way and someone's done something to offend you, they said something, did something, and you're feeling hurt and offended, uh, you need to ask yourself, why? What, what's going on here? And the answer is, is that you're making that way more important than God, than Jesus. If being right and getting your own way or keeping the rules as your identity and your reaction is to retaliate and call others out, it's on you. You've got a problem. You need to deal with it. I hear people say all the time, it's just the way I am. I, I'm this way, and you'll either like me or not. And you're right. You have the right to do whatever you want with your life, but that's not God speaking. That's you speaking. That's not Jesus speaking. That's you speaking. If your life, just like the money was the rich man's money, or like the rich man's money was, you can choose to be angry. You can choose to be hurt. You can choose to walk around in self-pity. You can play the martyr. You can be wounded. It's your choice. You get to do that. Every one of us, we get to do that. It's our money. We get to do that. This young man could tell Jesus, nope, and he did. And you can do that. You can walk around hurt and wounded and be cut off from people, and you can be justified in doing it. But when you are not living and identifying as a child of God, and you're owned by your offense and your pride, you're also going to miss out on heaven. See, these are important things. They are very important things. You can't sit there and say, well, I'm, I'm saved. I just, I just got a bad problem with my ego. I'm struggling with that. If you're truly identifying as a believer in Jesus, if you're living in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit is saying to you and me, as a believer, and I'm guessing that you've heard the voice of the Holy Spirit say this to you and reminding you in your situations of life, hey, listen to me. When you're offended, turn the other cheek. I hate that one. You're supposed to love them, so just love them. Yeah, I know. You got your feelings hurt. I know they didn't do what you wanted. So go love them. Go do something for them. You hear the voice say, you're not supposed to keep records of wrong. Got my list. You want to see it? And God says, yeah, why don't you show it to me? In fact, why don't you go sell that record of wrong and give it away and come back and follow me? Because you can't follow me as long as you have a record of wrongs. But I'm angry. He lied about me. She didn't include me. She left me out of the launch plans. He knew how I felt. He didn't care. They hurt me. And if you find yourself in those places and you've decided to hold on to your offense and to show the world how right you are and defend yourself no matter what, they have to tell you something. You're owned by those things. That's your God. That's your identity. I know that because this week I, I kind of ended up there temporarily. Uh, in a situation where it didn't go the way I wanted it to go. And the people that did things are people that I've tried to care for. And it just ticked me off. 
And I heard the voice of God saying, you're going to love them anyway. And I was saying, no, I'm not going to love them anyway. I'm going to do things that are going to make them miserable. I'll show them. Anybody else ever been there? Or am I the only one? I'm up here confessing. I feel so naked. I mean, you know, I should have worn my sweater. I, I had it with me. I, I'm feeling really naked up here today. I wanted to get even. I wanted to cause some drama. I wanted the world to know how messed up this is. It's only fair. But somewhere along the way, I heard the Holy Spirit say, but that's not how I would do it. And you belong to me. I had to find some time and go by myself and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I blew it, didn't I? My guess is that's where irreconcilable differences in marriage comes from. People who don't get their way, keep records of wrongs, put their foot down, say, I'm hurt, you owe me. Because they're living for themselves and they're not living for Christ. Two people who are identifying themselves as deserving. I can't forgive them. They don't deserve it. It's like money in our pocket. It damages and we're holding on to it. It's a situation coupon and I'll redeem it later against him. We have all these things stored up in our hearts like money in the bank. But the Holy Spirit's saying, no, go sell it. Go sell it. Who cares? Who cares if your feelings are hurt? Who cares if they did that? Who cares if you didn't get what you wanted? Who cares? Quit identifying with that self-hurt thing and start letting me be Lord over your life. It's the same thing, just like money. And if we want to be rich, that's what we got to do. We got to understand something, and I'm not sure we do, and then I'm going to wrap this all up. First of all, you get this part, but Christ died for our sins. We know that, right? He shed his blood for our sins. He gave his blood for our sins so that we can be forgiven of our sin. And Christ did that, and, and that, done, that part is done. It's complete. There is not a sin in the world that Christ has not already died for. It's a done deal. He has taken care of it all. But there's a role that we play too. We participate in our salvation. Paul reminded us and taught us to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And we've all read that. And what does that mean? Well, it means this, that we're to participate or put our salvation into action. See, Pastor Ian said this earlier. He said that salvation is more than a ticket to heaven. How many of you agree with that? You agree? Disagree. Okay. Salvation is becoming re-identified in my life. It's getting rid of the stuff that I identify myself. If it's money, then I have to get rid of that. If it's pride and ego, I've got to get rid of that. If it's stuff that I own, I need to get rid of that. If it's my family, I need to be... <laughs> I know, you're going, no, no. Yeah, if it's my family, you need to get rid of that. Because you need to be identified as child of God. Child of God. It's taking our place at the cross with Jesus Christ. It's stepping right up to it and saying, I'll join you on the cross. It's sell everything, come follow me, join me at the cross. We have been redeemed and forgiven to forgive. We are forgiven to live, to work out, to participate in the details of our salvation. We've been forgiven and restored to a new identity, Jesus follower. 
That means we're called to sell all we have, our pride, our dignity, our family, our sense of fair play, our rights, our drama, the records of rights and wrongs. We're invited to come and follow Christ, participate fully in His life, set aside our rights, our ego, set aside our desires to keep everything like it is, sell our list of records, and wrong, of records of rights and wrongs to God, submit our way to His way to others, to forgive. You know, the Lord's Prayer, it says, forgive us our sins, debts, trespasses. I always use the word sin because it's more real, and that's really what it means. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. And really what that's saying is this, listen to me, Forgive me my sins in the same manner in which I forgive other people. So if you're not forgiving anybody else, if you're walking around with yourself all hurt saying, well, I don't have to listen to them and, you know, I'm not going to participate anymore and I'm done with that because, I mean, my ego is what I'm all about and I'm not forgiving. You know what? You're going to be forgiven in the exact same way that you're forgiving others. God's going, hmm. If we want to be rich, truly rich, we have to first fully and completely submit to Jesus, sell everything, come and follow. You do that by submitting first to Christ and submitting to others, loving those who persecute you, setting aside your pride, setting aside your dignity, setting aside your rights, all your hurts, all the drama, and you go and you love people, you forgive them, and you come and follow me. Boom, that's Christianity right there. As I think about all this, I think it'd be far easier for me to sell my house, my cars, my Harley Davidson, and go follow him than to do the other. I just do. I mean, some of you, maybe you don't have that problem, but it's a struggle for me. It'd be much easier to say, okay, God, I'll sell all that stuff. You know, I, God called me to ministry a long time ago, and I said, okay, I, I never feared on owning a house, and we gave up everything, and we, we left. We we, we got married and moved to Kansas City to get ready for ministry. Man, we left home 15 hours away from Darcy's mom, 10 from my parents. And, you know, we missed out on the first five years there. And the, then we went to our first church nine years in Chicago while they were here. We missed out on the first 10, 15 years of our family, uh, of marriage. At, when our kids were little, we weren't around our family at all. They just weren't, they weren't there. I mean, you know, they came and visited, and they did what they could, and we came and visited, but, but they, we couldn't. It wasn't like now where Joanne's moved here, and we've got her right here in our hometown, and, you know, and I'm not too far from where my parents were at the end, but, but we didn't mean to do that. That happened, but, you know, we sold that, and I, I can do that, but, but I, you know, I've, I've moved a long ways, and I still wake up, and my ego's right next to me. And it's hard to get rid of him, it, whatever it is, id, I don't know, whatever it is. It's hard. But that's what Christ has called me to do, sell off everything, including my own way, and come and follow him. Come and identify with him, whatever that means for you. And if you want to be rich and have it all, that's what you've got to do. You've got to sell everything and give it away and come follow him. Ask Nathan to come, and he's going to lead us in worship. And I don't know if anybody needs to pray today or not. You know, it, you may all have it together. I, I didn't, and, and I'm. This was preaching to me this week. Uh, you know, most most weeks I'm preaching to you from my own life, and that's what this was, and my own struggles. But uh, I, I want to open the altars, and anybody that would just like to say, you know what, I, I do need to pray. 
the altar is open, and as Nathan leads us, I would love to pray with you and spend some time in prayer together. If you don't want to and don't feel need to, that's fine. But here's the deal. You know what? Don't let your pride keep you from doing that. Because again, if your pride's keeping you from kneeling in front of others, what it's doing is saying, hey, we're too important to kneel. And you're making that your identity. And we need to not do that. We've got to make Christ our identity. We'll do whatever he asks us to do. So if you're feeling the hand of God on your back saying, come and kneel and pray, I don't care if you're a pastor, a, a board member, Sunday school teacher for the last 40 years, or a new Christian, or a rank sinner. That's what you need to do, whatever Christ is leading you to do. And if he calls you to pray, let's pray together this morning. Let's stand up and let's worship together. And, and if uh, you feel called to come up, come and pray. Father, right now we just thank you for being so good to us and being so real. And Lord, you've spoken to our hearts and you've guided us and you've directed us. You've taught us. We've struggled at times with it, Lord. We know we fail you, but we're so thankful for the grace of God. Not grace that is cheap and easy, but grace that still loves us and calls us to better and higher places. Calls us to live out the life of holiness and righteousness. And Lord, we can't do that by performance. We do that by falling into that relationship with you, by giving you everything. And Father, today, I pray that that we would have that encounter with you, whether it's here or home later on or whatever, and that we would realize what we need to do. Lord, I pray if there's any here who has not sold out everything, who has not given you everything, Lord, who is struggling with uh, their own egos or attitudes or, or, or desires for their own way or money or stuff or whatever, Lord, that, that they would surrender it to you so that you can be Lord over their lives. Lord, that's how we get to be rich. We become rich when we give you everything. So Lord, help us to do that right now. Thank you, Lord, for being here with us. Thank you, Lord, for uh, those who aren't able to be here. We pray for them. Lord, whatever situation they may be in, that you touch them. We pray for those at the altar that are praying, Lord, touch them today. May they experience your life and your joy in a very deep and profound way. And Lord, my biggest prayer today is that you would go with us, that as we walk through those doors, that your presence would be upon us and with us, and that we would make a difference wherever we go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.